with my clarity now, I'm thinking, but this, this, is, this was so, so creepy. I would walk into Mag and Bean, let's say it's just 10 and, and I have a 10 o'clock meeting with someone that I'm coaching or something. And then I would look at the time and I'm like, okay, 10 is a bit too early. But 11 o'clock, they already said wine. And I'll be the only one, Janet, ordering a glass of wine without even a shame. And everyone is having cappuccino. So now I'm thinking back that I, <laughs> what was going on with me? What was wrong? Why couldn't I see the madness of that? Yeah. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Now, series two of our podcast is focusing on the importance of taking a break from alcohol. As we move towards the launch of our third Sober Spring Challenge, Sober Spring 2020 starts on the 1st of September and provides online, audio and community support for 66 alcohol-free days. We'll be interviewing people that have done our Sober Spring Challenge in the past because we want to give you an insight into how it feels to try a prolonged period of time without alcohol. After all, when did you last go for 66 days without having a drink? Now, today's interview is the lovely Lebo. She's an entrepreneur and a teacher at Stretch with Lebo Poulet and a sought-after speaker on leadership and gender issues. She's also the author of two books and a podcaster herself. I'm going to put all of her info in the show notes, so please check her out. She's a really interesting lady. Now, I met Lebo when she signed up for Sober Spring last year. Like many of us, she's got a really complicated relationship with alcohol. So let's hear a bit more from Lebo. So I was born and bred in a township called Alexandra in Johannesburg. At 18, I started my first job at the bank, First National Bank. I hated everything about it. I hated everything about work. But what stuck seemed to be my, me working for myself. Oh. So that is a nutshell, and I write extensively about that in my first book. In, in, in my story, they can buy the book. It's called Alone, Growing Up in Alexandra. On a personal note, I'm a, I'm a mom to three kids. My daughter, as I told you, I had her at 16. And then I had my son at 22. And then the baby, the baby is 12. It's the baby. I don't care who says what. <laughs> uh, so it's my daughter is 28. My son is 22 and the baby's 13. 
simultaneously I'm on social media. I am posting inspirational stuff, the things that you know. I'm posting about my life. I am teaching because I'm an avid reader. I'm, I'm into the spiritual world of energy and all that. So that side of me is growing while the business is doing absolutely nothing. And later on, someone said to me, you know what, maybe you should focus on these things that you're giving for free on social media. Maybe create a group, maybe charge something. And to cut a long story short, this is how I, it became that I started a thing called Stretch with Levitule, where I have online students who learn from me, who pay for my services. You, you've got quite a following, I've noticed, on Facebook and places. <laughs> you've really uh, made a nice brand there. <laughs> I, shall, I shall read your books. They sound fascinating. So yeah, let's, um, let's talk about the wine, shall we, Libo? <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> so tell, mm. tell me when wine first came into your life. The first time I had wine or alcohol, which became a part of my life, was soon after I started my first business, Exquisite Interiors. And it happened very insidiously you know i would be taking a client out and for for lunch or for a dinner because you know as a salesperson you have to do these things and a client would say no i'll have a whiskey or i'll have a, a savannah or a beer have wine and i remember the first person who said to me have a glass of wine try red because red was the in thing and it was a lunch hour and i i remember just loving the smell of it it was a mellow and, and he was teaching me because he was a wine connoisseur and he was teaching me the different, you know, it was sexy. So yeah. the wine came into my life in a very sexy, sophisticated way. Honestly, Jan, it, it was really never a problem. For me, it was sophistication. It was a good life to have a glass of wine on a Friday uh, and I have another one on a Saturday. And it was a very, very slow move towards a whole bottle. Um, I used to think about a bottle would last me the whole week. I would have a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc in the fridge and I will have it on a Thursday and then maybe finish it next week. But by the time the business was getting really, really hectic, I just always had it. I, I would always have a glass of wine um, or two. And then Fridays, I would finish a bottle and I would justify that. No, people do that. It's normal, you know. Mm -hmm. So it started that way, you know, in my late 20s to early date. Yeah, it just kind of sneaks up on you, doesn't it? Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. So tell, tell me how it was uh, just before you, you signed up for Sober Spring. Was it, was it quite hectic then? Yes, yes. Okay, so what then happened was my... Business went under, I went back home, and I found myself not being able to be in that house with my parents without wine. Um, so it would make some part of my groceries. Even if I wasn't the one buying groceries, if my mom was going to the shops, I would always put on the list, buy uh, white wine had become my thing now. Mm -hmm. I found red wine. Um, a bit, it, it would flare up my sinuses. Um, there's something in the red wine that just aggravated them. So I then gravitated towards Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay, in particular Chardonnay because it was sweeter. And and it was it became almost daily. You know, the only time I wouldn't drink would be a Monday and a Tuesday because it's a Monday and a Tuesday. <laughs> Some Wednesdays I would have a class, but you know, with with fear that oh my word, am I that girl now? 
And so by the time I was 30, probably in my mid-30s, almost 35, starting the sales business, I was a full-on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, drinking a full bottle, more if I go out because, I mean, you can go to Rosebank and meet your friends and not have a glass of wine. I mean, who are you? So (laughs) it would be, by the time I get home on a Thursday evening, I probably already had two or three with friends and then I'd have the last one because it's now a habit. The last one at home, I'll have to have another glass or two. So when did it become, when did I realize that this is a problem? To be honest, honest, honest with you, because this is an honest chat. It is. It was 2015, I was 39. You know, you're about to turn 40 and you look at your body. My body looked weird because I've always had a nice slim body and I used to pride myself of not having a, a belly, mkaba, in, in our language, it's called mkaba. <laughs> but suddenly I had this weird belly. And people would argue that, no, it's 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 age, you turning 40, these things happen. But because I'm a knowledge person, I like to learn, I would Google how to get rid of a belly. And then suddenly I see um, sugar belly, alcohol belly, mommy belly. And I had an alcohol belly ever so slightly, but it was there. And then I started Googling about alcohol and the sugar in it, reducing, and I tried to reduce then at 39. It didn't work. I turned 40. You know, when you turn 40, you want to be healthy. I stopped eating meat. Um, I tried to reduce meat and I tried to reduce alcohol and it was very, very difficult. And then for whatever reason, Jen, the hangovers started becoming... a bit harder, you know, you'd have a bottle of wine, but the hangover would feel like you've had three and, and it would last longer and it affected my mood. It affected my body. As I was saying on our podcast, I would recover by Wednesday, you know, I'd feel like, okay, it's, I'm, I'm myself again. Uh, but it went on and on and it worried me that why is wine doing this to me? Because, you know, I like it. And people say, I don't drink that much because you check with adults, you know, you check with people, how much are you drinking? Um, And I knew that it probably had started bothering me when I started asking other people, how much are you drinking? I think I'm drinking too much. And people would always tell you, no, it's not because we are all in the same pool, you know? No, you're not drinking a lot. Remember so-and-so. Oh no, that one drinks whiskey. You only (laughs) drink wine. People would say, you only drink wine because I don't drink spirits. I never really have. Yeah. So my thing has always been wine. No, wine is sophisticated. Look, wine is fine. Let me just relax. You're overreacting. You're being dramatic. But um, then I moved to the Karoo in 2017. There's this beautiful man that I, I was in a long-distance relationship with, with. Eventually, we thought, look, maybe come here. It's quieter. You want to write your second book. You are tired of Jobek anyway, which is a story for another podcast, why Jobek was tiring me. And the beauty is he doesn't drink. He's not a drinker, never drank at all. And I thought, good, I can manage my alcohol because he doesn't drink. But he loved that I, I drink wine. You know, those people <laughs> who felt that, like, like other people, he felt that I don't drink that much. He just felt that it's part of my lifestyle and I need to accept it. Meanwhile, it is killing me. 
Um, one evening, I remember I had had way too much and um, I, I, I threw up the next day. It was just a mess, Jen. And I remember Googling you. <laughs> Not Googling you, Googling how do I get rid of a hangover and so <laughs> well without wine. And something about saying well without wine is very scary <laughs> because it means what kind of a world is that? I mean, we want the wine, but we just want it proper. You know, we don't want it to make us sick. And it's almost like um, once you spot something, you can't unspot it. Once you see something, you can't unsee it. So World Without Wine started showing up on my timeline, on my Google. <laughs> I also saw you on Facebook. And um, uh, eventually, I think it was 2019 when it was early, early hours of the morning. I was hungover again and I went on World Without Wine and I subscribed and I couldn't find banking details somehow and you have a WhatsApp there and I'm like, I'm trying to pay, what do I do? And you said, no, go here. And then I paid and then I joined your 66 day. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If the listeners don't know about Sober Spring, it's 66 days uh, of sobriety. So it's quite a commitment. And we do 66 days because if you can stay alcohol free for such a long period, then you're kind of building a new neural pathway. So that means it becomes a habit and going forward, it's, it's much easier. So talk us through your experience with those 66 days. Oh, yeah, you must remember before the 66 days, I had tried on my own to, to moderate, right? I had tried to yeah. say, this Thursday, that's it. I'm just drinking. I'm just buying this bottle for the whole weekend. Before Thursday is even over, that bottle is over because I normally start around lunchtime. So I had been trying and I thought, okay, so here's a group. Uh, we have a support structure. It's going to be fine. And I think the first week, because you are over eager, I did up to, I made it up to day five because I started on a Sunday. So by the time I reached Friday, for me, it was like, oh my word, I went through Thursday without even thinking of wine. Well, I was, but I made it. So I was knuckled, what do you call it when you are? Uh, white knuckling. Power. <laughs> white knuckling. <laughs> I was white knuckling. <laughs> then I went through Friday with great difficulty. And Saturday morning, I just saw myself going to the liquor store and buying wine. I was full of shame and embarrassment. And I thought, no, I'm not going to tell anyone in the group. I'll just start again Monday. And I then had Saturday. But you see, the thing is, then I drank more. I don't know why I drank more. I think I had two bottles that Saturday and then Sunday. And then Monday, I was mortified. I came into the group and I said, I failed. And you were so kind, Janet. You said, no, it's normal. Very few people start and go immediately. But it wasn't, it, it wasn't to be. It took me another seven, if not eight tries. So I would get to day seven, day eight, day nine, drop again, day 10, drop again. Eventually, I don't know what made me push through. By day 10, I was with my journal and a pen of paper, a pen and paper, and I said, there is no way I am drinking wine. I have to finish it. Mm-hmm. And I pushed until day 20. By day 26, I felt all weird, and I wanted sugar, and I was drinking rusks and 
drinking Milo and eating lots and lots of sugar. I remember asking in the group that is this normal? And again, you said, oh, it's absolutely normal. Your body is used to the sugar from the grapes, from the vineyard. So go with it, but reduce eventually. And after a month, oh, I was I was so proud of myself. And there's something about pride that will push you to go further. The yeah. cravings were there. The cravings were always there. But you can manage it. They get better and better. After the day 66, I thought, yeah, I made it. I'm going to thank myself with a champagne. <laughs> what else? <laughs> Uh, and in my mind I thought no I'll just have two glasses of champagne and yeah yeah you know you know the story that probably was done within four or five hours and I was back in shame and embarrassment I just I don't understand what was going on I didn't get it and I kept trying and uh, trying weekends without which I would do but then I would go back again which is basically where I am now I am at a place where if I were to quantify it, and it's something that I'm terrified to do because I wanted to just do a journal of my drinking because I think I have to. But I'm scared to do it because then it will show me the real truth. (laughs) Uh (laughs) That, yeah, you're still probably drinking slightly more, way better than before the 66, but more than what you want. So to be honest with you, I think I do weekends without. So there's weekends where, nah, I'm going to skip. It's in my consciousness, it's in my mind, it's not something I've forgotten, but I have more power to say, no, I'll skip this weekend. And then I find that I'm more conscious. For an example, I'd say, okay, next weekend I'll have, and then I will have, but I don't know how to have two glasses of wine. Mm -hmm. So I would say, no, next week I'll have two glasses only. I can't have that. I find that I finished that damn bottle. Yeah. And that's where I am sitting. And um, it, it, yeah, it, it bugs me. It really does. Yeah. I love, uh, I love your um, idea about journaling because journaling is so powerful, as you know. Ooh. So yeah, you, no, could, you could start is... journaling um, your kind of relationship with alcohol and what's happening. And that could be book three. <laughs> yeah. No, book three will definitely include the story with wine. <laughs> it will. Is it your goal, Libo, to be completely alcohol-free? Is that where you're heading? Or are you happy just to be a bit more aware and to, to keep trying to cut down? You know, if, if I were to be honest, I'm, I'm on the fence, um, but the, the, big, the big part of me wants to drop it completely, and I'll tell you why. Now that I know what it is, now that I know that it's actually a very addictive drug, and looking at my life and where I want to go with my life and the things that I want to do with people and healing and really just becoming better versions of ourselves, it then follows that the wine can be a part of that, um, especially the way I've been drinking wine. Yeah. If, however, I am able to be that girl who can have a glass or two of wine once in a blue moon, then that's fine. But my fear is I don't think I'm that girl. And you see, that makes me emotional suddenly. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I would say for most of us, um, you know, people in our tribe, um, once you've kind of crossed a line with, uh, with your drinking, it's very hard to go back. 
So mm. I would say to you with your kind of where you're, you are with your mindset at the moment, you know, continue to, to try to moderate, keep trying. Um, mm. And if, um, remember that one and a half bottles of wine a week is the uh, so-called <laughs> safe limit. limit. So if you're drinking more than that, then you can be putting your health at risk. No, I'm so definitely if, if, drinking more. If you can yeah. keep at that level, then, then mm. that's great. But if you can't, if you keep failing and keep failing and falling off and on, on the wagon, mm. then, then it really is time to quit. And it's, yeah. it's tough, you know, it's difficult to quit. But uh, you, you talked about pushing through, didn't you, when you were doing uh, the 66 The 66 days. days. It yeah. is a matter yeah. of pushing through. And for most people in our community, that they have a tough few months, you know, maybe up to mm. six rather miserable months getting this done, but then it's done, mm. you know, and then it's the new mm. normal and they feel so much better and they achieve so many more things. So it's, you know, that's where I, I disagree with the AA ethos. You know, I don't think it's one day at a time for the rest of your mm. life. I don't think yeah. to label ourselves alcoholics, you know. Yes. I, I just say I was someone that drank far too much and, and now I don't. You know, I don't think yes. we need to make it into a drama and, and feel as if we've got a terrible <laughs> disease. <laughs> yes. We just yeah, greedy no, but... girls out to have fun, weren't we? <laughs> yeah so that's that's why I feel that probably I would have to eventually just let it go and I love how kind you are that no just keep trying the moderation and see keep trying you know don't beat yourself up too much no no and if it really there's gonna come a time where you know that okay I think exactly good. when you you'll come to a day when you think I'm done with this I'm bored with yeah. this you know I'm, yeah I'm and it is boring isn't it, it, it yeah is boring. totally I, I wanted it is actually very boring I wanted to talk to how I feel when I'm not drinking because right now my my pattern is two weeks off and then I fall yeah. off. Then there'll be those weekends where I'm drinking. But the times that I don't have alcohol or alcohol residue in my body, I am at my optimum. I mean, I'm a hard worker. I'm sure you know that. I work very yeah. hard. But after I have dropped the alcohol, I find like I'm a super person almost. The, the, the energy levels are high. I don't get as tired. Um, and I'm putting much more clear awake than I did when I was um, still a bit foggy because that's what alcohol does. Yeah, yeah. So I love the feeling in my body and in my mind. And oh, of course, the sleep. Oh, my word. <laughs> the sleeping. You sleep so much better. You don't need that extra allergics. The other thing that your listeners might benefit from is that when you drink alcohol, the way we did, the way I did. So you, you you drink and you know that you're going to pay around 2 or 3 a.m. or the next morning, right? So what we do, I don't know if you did this, I would take a Panado or an Allergex so that I don't have to have the other effects of a headache. And I just thought that is such a problem as well. So it's compounded. It's 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 now the alcohol, it's now the, the painkillers, and then it's going to be the greasy food in the morning. Yeah. And it's going to be sugar. It's it's that you're not winning. There's no good here. Yeah. <laughs> so when I don't drink, I don't have any of those issues. I'm drinking more water, I'm even more conscious of what I'm eating. I'm clear and I love that feeling a little bit more than the buzz that the wine. 
You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. That clarity that you get, Lebo, and, and the way you feel so good, what's happening there is you're getting glimpses of what an alcohol-free life feels like, you know, all the ah. time. Even if it takes some of us, especially me, quite a while to get there, it's worth, <laughs> worth getting there. And another thing that I would say to you is, you know, you're in a bit of a process, stop, start, stop, start at the moment, but your subconscious mind, you know, when, when you stop drinking, your subconscious is thinking, oh, uh, this is tough, you know, what, why is she doing this to me again? That kind mm. of um, but if you keep doing it, then your your subconscious will always register that sobriety is miserable. But if you mm. can push through and push through and get more and more of that clarity and the energy yes. and all the good things about uh, sobriety, yes. then your subconscious is going to say, "This is okay. good." You know, I'm I'm yeah. hanging in there. Let's talk about liminal space because I was oh, listening yeah. to one of your podcasts recently. And I loved what you said about liminal space. Yes. And I yes. just wanted to say to, you know, maybe some people are listening to this that have been sober for a few months and they're feeling a bit flat, a, a bit down, because that definitely happened to me. I think it was probably about six, seven months. I remember mm. thinking, I wonder if I've done the right thing here, you know, because some days I feel mm. like I've lost more than I've gained. And mm. you know, I just felt flat. And, um, but I, I sat there and I, I like this expression, uh, what is it, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Well, yes. I was very uncomfortable for, I'd say, you know, six weeks, two months, but I, I sat it out. And then gradually I could feel um, myself coming to life. You know, I suddenly had all these creative ideas and I'd be, uh, you know, walking or running and I'd suddenly have to stop and, and send myself emails on my phone so I didn't forget, you know, what, what I just thought. So I felt like oh, my, my that, brain that sounds was good. sparking into life. And mm. so I, gi I give that thing a name because a lot of people go, seem to go through that. And I call it the void. And I mm. say, just sit with the void and you'll be amazed what comes out of the other side. And mm. I think that void is, is your liminal space there, don't you? Yes, yes. No, liminal space is, is a powerful phrase. So liminal space is when you leave something a way that you normally call your normal, when you leave your normal behind. Now, it could be your marriage, it could be your job, it could be anything, it could be wine in this could be space, wine. In, in, this, in this context, yeah. And you enter this place where you are not on the other side. You see, where I am, I'm, I'm not even in liminal space yet because I haven't decided to ditch the wine completely. But people who have decided that this is it, they enter this new space that is neither here nor there. It's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's not solid. And the temptation is always to run backwards to what yeah. you... This is why people who are separated from their spouses with the intention to divorce, once they get into that liminal space, they tend to want to go back. Because uh, it's easier to go back. I think it's the same also with wine. It's easier to go mm -hmm. back um, to the book. Like when you were wondering if you did the right things. We have to stay in that space as long as we can. Because only then 
does an old world, which is your, your, your old normal, can fall apart. It can only fall apart in that space. It will never fall apart if you fast forward it, because sometimes we fast forward, and I've seen myself do that. That's my personality. Uh, in as much as I, I teach about emotions and, and all sorts of things, I find emotions very, very difficult. So that's the honesty. And so you tend to want to rush forward uh, and you rush forward by doing something else. For an example, maybe overworking, you leave the wine and then now you get into something else. Now you overworking, you're a workaholic. That's not being in liminal space. No. Being in liminal space is sitting with that dreaded feeling, that discomfort you speak of, that weirdness and just let it do whatever it needs to do with you. So I know it in I know it intellectually. I just am yet to get into liminal space with yeah. my wine. Yeah. I've been in liminal space with other things when I went bankrupt and when mm. I was changing things. And so I know what it means. Um, I'm yet to enter it in, in wine. So essentially, just to wrap it up, it's a space where you have not arrived where you are going, but you are also too far to go back. Thank you so much, Lebo. I love this concept of liminal space. The fact that although it's a pretty uncomfortable space to be, that's actually where the magic happens, if we can just hang in there long enough. A few more things struck me about our conversation. As with most of us, alcohol just kind of crept up on Lebo. At the age of 26, she didn't really drink much at all. But she met someone that introduced her to wine. He was a bit of an expert, so it all felt very sophisticated. But over the years, her consumption crept up until she was using wine to cope with stress. And as she approached the age of 40, she started worrying about her wine belly. She was really worried about her drinking, so she asked her friends for some advice. They assured her that she was fine. Of course, she wasn't drinking too much. Now, this is really common. And it's dangerous for two reasons. First of all, many people are unaware that drinking more than one and a half bottles of wine a week can damage your health. So even if you are drinking more than that, they'll still tell you that you're fine. They'll say things like, oh, if it's only one bottle of wine a night, or, oh, you're fine because you only drink wine, you don't drink whiskey. People are innocent. They don't realise quite how toxic and addictive alcohol is. Now, the other reason why it's quite dangerous is that some of your friends may not want you to quit. Because if you quit drinking, that will highlight just how much they drink. And they don't actually want to be put under the spotlight because they don't want to make a change. What a real friend would say if you told them you were stopping drinking is they would say, oh... That's going to be quite tough. How can I help you? How can I support you? So that's how you distinguish between true friendship and drinking buddies. So in spite of her friend's reassurances, Lebo very cleverly recognised that she could just be on a slippery slope here. So she decided to sign up for our Sober Spring Challenge to learn more about her relationship with alcohol. She managed to complete several alcohol-free stretches during the 66 days. She wasn't perfect, but she interacted a lot with the other challengers. And she is now much more knowledgeable about her relationship with alcohol. 
She hasn't quite given up yet, but she's well on her way and she knows that that is what she wants to do because she knows that her life is much better without it. So if you would like to learn more about your relationship with alcohol in a safe and supportive space, then please think about signing up for our Sober Spring 2020. So go take a look and sign up now. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Till next time. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.